For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Use the code word REBEL for a discount on pillows, sheets, pet beds, and everything else at MyPillow.com. Woo, Rebels, it's that time. Can you feel it? Are you ready to be a great parent? Do you want to feel like you're back on your honeymoon? Well, we believe in you and God believes in you. Rebels, it's time to join the rebellion. It's time for Rebel Parenting. What's happening, Rebels? Good podcast for you today. My friend Alan Arnold is on the show. He is the director of content for Ransomed Heart. That's John Eldridge's ministry. He has overseen the launch of over 500 novels and over 1,000 books. Think about that. Over 1,000 book launches, 500 novels. He is an amazing man. We're going to talk about speaking into our children's identity and helping them find their own voice. It is such an important topic in helping your kids find their own voice. So many times parents try to influence their children's voice to be more like theirs, and we're trying to focus on what that child's voice should be in the eyes of God. Today's podcast is sponsored by PolicyGenius.com and SaveTheStorks.com, my favorite pro-life organization. PolicyGenius, find all your insurance needs, literally all your insurance needs in one place. It's like Amazon for insurance or Kayak for flights, but this is for insurance. PolicyGenius.com. I've gone through it. It was super easy. I couldn't believe how easy it was. I wish I had this back when I was trying to find health insurance for the first time. It was one of the biggest headaches I had when I quit my last job. I got to tell you, Policy Genius will fix all of that for you. Let's jump into the podcast today. Here is Alan Arnold on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. What's happening, Rebels? So good to have you with us today. Hi, everybody. We got a guest in studio. This is so much more fun. Like, well over 90% of our guests are via Skype. And so having someone in studio, it's always so much fun. It's so nice. We've got Alan Arnold in the studio today. I was going to say on the podcast today, which you are on the podcast, but you are in studio. Uh, And you're director of content at Ransomed Heart with John Eldridge. Correct. Man, we had so much fun with him. He's amazing. It was fire. It was really good. I was sitting here the whole time going, oh, we should do another podcast on this. Oh, we should talk about this longer. (laughs) And it just kept getting longer and longer. I'm like, all right, I got to stop. I've taken too much of his time. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here. You're welcome, man. I appreciate it. And you started in publishing. Right. You were with Thomas Nelson for... 20 years. 20 years. Wow. So you saw the launch of over 500 novels. As a fiction publisher, over 500. And then if it includes all the campaigns I marketed, which was some of your dads, uh, yeah. Billy Graham, Max Licato, all those guys. I mean, it was probably over a thousand books that I was a part of. Wow. In those 20 years. That is a lot. That is a lot. That's a lot of books. Okay, so there's a lot of people I run into that dabble in writing, that like to write, that are talking about writing a book, that are thinking about writing a book. Are there like early basic things that you can say, okay, definitely do this, definitely don't do this? What are some of those Mm. early mistakes or definitely do's that people that are thinking about writing ought to or ought not to do? Well, I think everybody feels like they have a book in them yeah. when you talk to people. And that's great because everybody's living a story. And so they've got this idea, fiction, nonfiction, whatever it may be. The main thing I would say is you have to discover your original voice. Mm. Before you start oh, trying to yes. write something, you have to know, you have to have an examined life. You have to know, 
the story you're living before you really focus on the story you're writing. Mm-hmm. And that's perfect. That's nonfiction or fiction. And by the way, it's not just nonfiction or fiction. That's if you want to be a comedian, if you want to be a podcaster, if you want to be a speaker, if you want to be a preacher, if you want to yeah. be a preacher, finding your, in fact, when we moved to do right. rebel parenting. So I told Laura, I, oh, I want to yeah. start a new podcast and I was expecting her to be like, all right, yeah, because when we met, I had just started podcasting 15 years ago, Okay, pre-iTunes, I was doing it from our kitchen table, and she's always known me as a podcaster, and so I said, I'm going to start a new podcast, and she was like, well, are you going to use your voice? And I said, what? And she goes, are you going to do family talk voice, or are you going to use your voice? Because he had two different voices. Two voices? Yeah, yeah. he had And two. it wasn't like a real kind question. It was more like, oh, Oh, I was really? kind. I was kind. It was a good question. And yeah. it was a good question. Yeah. You know what? Honestly, it was well over a year of mm. doing Rebel Parenting before I started to feel like I sounded like myself. Yeah. I mean, that's it, That's cool. Yeah. It's really hard there. to find your yeah. own voice. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm you know, still trying to find mine. <laughs> I think Laura's born with her own voice. I, yeah. I, I don't, you know, you, I can remember as a speaker, I can't even believe I'm going to say this. This is, this is from, and cause I'm huge into stand up comedy. I okay. love, love, love stand up comedy. I used a Chris Rock joke from stage for about a year. And didn't realize how, like in the comedy world, in the speaking world, like I was stealing. I was stealing a premise. Mm. I was stealing a line. And I didn't realize it. And then it hit so big. Like, I mean, crowds died. I mean, they went with me a hundredfold. And all of a sudden I was like, I don't know if this is right. Like, this is not mine. And then I was listening to more and more comedy and more and more comedy podcasts. And they talked about joke stealing and like, and it was like, oh no, I've done this. I've and I mean, the comedy was, police were coming after you. Yes. Uh, yeah. Here's yeah. the truth. No, they weren't because it was the Christian world and they weren't listening to Chris Rock. Uh, <laughs> I think it was from one of his movies, but I had definitely stolen that. And it was like, oh, I'm trying to talk mm. like other people. I'm trying to sound like other yes. people, and I don't even know it. I'm just being influenced by that. And so, yeah. do writers, when they read a lot of like a certain author or a certain type, do they mistakenly sound like someone else? Well, sometimes not mistakenly, because and part of that is the industry will say we're looking for the next fill in the blank oh. and because the current person, whether it's, uh, you know, a pastor or whether it's oh. a speaker of some kind or a novelist, they want lightning to strike again. Yep. And so they'll even say our agents will say, yeah, we're looking for the next, you know, whoever or we want you to write this genre. Amish fiction or supernatural or romance. And here's the formula for how to do that. Oh, Amish fiction is huge with Christians and has been for like a decade. It's an underground. It's an underground. If you don't know this, it's an underground (laughs) phenomena. And I mean, the books will be at Target and Walmart, but they all have the same type cover of a woman with a bonnet and a certain look to it. And, I'm uh, so glad you're here. I'm so glad I decided to ask this. I was totally not so, going to because we have a lot to talk about. Wow. Okay. So what I'm saying is you have to fight for your unique voice because mm, yeah. people in the industry want the next so-and-so. And so the pressure is on to be like something. But what they're saying be like was actually an original voice at one time. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so mm-hmm. for everybody watching or listening, like the first goal And you're right. It's not just for uh, author. It's for anybody because any creative pursuit that you have, 
whether you're a poet, an artist, a chef, a ballet dancer, an architect, teacher, you have to discover your unique voice, not how it's done, but how do you do it? And ultimately, that's what's going to be memorable, and that's what's going to make you stand out. And eventually, if you do that and pursue it long enough and get good at it, other people will say, now be the next, and they'll point to you. Because you have yeah. discovered your unique voice. So think about this, because that, you know, it's who's going to be the next Wayne Gretzky? Who's going to be the next Michael Jordan? Who's going to be the next Tony Hawk? Right. That, and there's the comparison. Yes. So there's, when there's the such the strong comparison, who's going to be the next John Gershom? Who's going to be the next James Dobbs? Who's going to be the next C.S. Lewis? Who's going to be the next, you know, fill in the blank. Right. You know, Billy Graham. Right. Uh, Jack Graham, you know, Franklin, goodness. I mean, God, they're so, and that's the interesting one too. Jack Graham, Franklin Graham, and Billy Graham, very, very different. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and you'd think, oh, it, growing up, I got the, oh, you're not what I was expecting because they were expecting another James Dobson. Right. And because of that, there's this natural tendency to then try and shape who you are to something else because it's like, oh, well, you're looking for the next Michael Jordan. Right. I'm yeah. not going to play like, Steph Curry and hit three pointers all the time. I'm going to yes. try to shape my game to the old Jordan-esque game. And the mm. enemy of, I think, creativity is formula. And formula is what is the gravitational pull. No matter what you love to do, the formula of how it's been done is what you have to overcome. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, finding your unique voice and how do you do that? Well, it takes sometimes coaching. It takes practice. It takes an intentionality, but I think it starts with a definition of, to me, creativity, if you're looking at true creativity, it's changing the atmosphere around you by bringing something new into existence Mm. through your presence and your talent. And so in other words, a stay-at-home mom is incredibly creative, but I talk to so many and they say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not really very creative. I'm staying at home right now, or I'm just taking care of kids during the day. Mm -hmm. I'm not out doing a career that could be called creative. But actually, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, barista, doing something that most people don't even see, you can change the atmosphere around you and bring something new into existence, first with who you are, your presence, your identity. And we can talk more about identity later Mm -hmm. as far as creativity. Mm -hmm. But when that happens... That is using your unique voice, your unique presence. Mm. And it's really, the thing is, you don't have to work hard for that. It's who God created you to be. It's a discovery process. Mm. So it's not saying, I need to invent this voice that somehow is unique. It's saying, actually, you need to discover your true identity. Mm. And when you discover who God created when he knit you into existence, that is your unique voice. And from the time you're a child, the world tries to steal it or shape it or redirect it. And so when you look at children, they're hyper creative and they are being themselves. There's no filter. Right. But slowly the world, the educational system, Mm -hmm. parents inadvertently sometimes, Mm -hmm. but they slowly lose who they are and they're told who to be. And so I'm glad you're saying this because I thought we were going to go this one direction, but I want to start with this because this is so applicable to kids and what you're saying is true. So like my son wants to be a YouTuber and so he watches lots of other YouTubers and then he'll try to create like them, Mm -hmm. but he's a great kid on his own. He's super unique on his own. So 
this is going to be an odd question. I'm going to try to get through it. A lot of parents come from, there is a come from that we're in. Like, oh, well, you can't make a living doing art. You can't make a living as a ballet artist. You can't make a living as a YouTuber. You can't make a living playing video games. And so we're thinking way practical with really young kids. I got a seven-year-old that likes right, to cook. Right. Could she be a cook someday? 100%. She could make a billion dollars doing it, I'm sure. Absolutely. And yet there's this fear. You know, parenting is such this shame, fear, Mm -hmm. like, oh no, guilt-based thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to mess up my kid. I don't want to do something now that's going to hurt them later in life. So we've got these parents coming from this fear thing, which is scarcity. Right. You know, fear creates scarcity. Like, oh, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, only do this. You know, this will be good for you kind of thing. Right. But we want to teach our kids to be creative. Yes. Without saying like, but what are you going to do someday? How are you going to provide? Man, I changed my major five times in college, Mm -hmm. which was a disaster Mm -hmm. and didn't find my calling. I mean, for a long, long time, I tried lots of stuff that didn't work. Right. And I think people were afraid, well, you're going to fail at that. Well, most of life is failure. <laughs> you got to learn how to pick yourself up when you fail totally. and do something right. again. Right. And I think we have a hard time teaching our kids that. So who comes from a fear position at times, right. how do I get out of my own head to allow my kids or foster creativity in them? Because that will yeah. help them with their identity. Right. If you can just let them create and be. Right. They'll find their voice on their own, but it's all the barriers that we place around them totally. that says, and I'll give you the example. This is my classic one. I'm adopted. Uh-huh. Before Lincoln was born, I've never known another person I'm biologically related to. And you ever meet someone where you see wow. their kid and you're like, whoa, that's your kid. Like, it looks like you, sounds yeah. like you, walks like you, talks <laughs> right. like you, that's yes. your kid. Yes. I dreamt that he would, and I would be like, and I didn't mm-hmm. know it had so much tied into not knowing anybody I'm related to. I just didn't know that. And so when he was young, I just was dying to find out how he'd be alike. Will you like skateboarding? I like skateboarding. Will you like this music? I like this music. Will you like this art? I like this art. Will yes. you like these movies? I like these movies. Yes. But unknowingly, I was just telling him, you're not good enough on your own. You're only good enough when you're like me. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's not, he is amazing in a million ways. Mm-hmm. And the more I try to stop finding the ways he's just like me, right. the more I find ways that we can bond and we are alike. Yeah. So for a parent like me, how do I get out of my own head and let my kid create and let him be and let him do and not try to hinder it or cushion it right. or, you know what I mean? Like yeah. what are those things mm. that parents can do? Yeah, great question. And I think one thing as a parent we have to realize is our core desires for our children are mostly based in love, Mm. hopefully, but the opposite of love is fear. And so it's not love and hate, I believe. If you go foundationally Mm. down, you'll ultimately, and you take away, there's all these other emotions that come out, but Mm -hmm. at the Mm -hmm. bottom, you're either making choices out of a love-based model or a fear-based model. Yeah, And a love-based model is, I want the best for my child and the best is who God created them to be. Mm. And a fear-based model is, well, for my child to have the best, they've got to do X, Y, and Z because this is what success or stability looks like. It's more formulaic. Let's say the first part again though. Mm. I want what's best for my child and what's best is for them to be who God created them to be. To step into who God created them Mm. to be. And so... 
if you're looking at your child and as they get to be five, six, eight, twelve, and our oldest is eighteen years old. He just graduated mm. high school last May, mm. and he's going a very he's super creative, hyper creative, and he wasn't a big fan of school. Word especially science and math yeah. and all the subjects. But he studied story and movies and art, and he would do that on his own. In fact, he came in one morning and said, hey, Dad, here's a thousand-word dictionary I've created of all these terms that people use in the arts, and I haven't used the definition in the dictionary. I've just created my own because the dictionary one was too heady, and I wanted something that was more common sense. Now, that wasn't a school project, so he wasn't lazy. Whoa. He was super dedicated wow. to studying and Just learning Just think about that art. one for a minute that's because awesome. that's really interesting because there's so many words we use differently in different contexts. Right. And he was saying people are getting confused in the arts because right. they're using all these words. Right. And here's a dictionary for people. A thousand words? So a thousand words. And How it took old was him, he? He did this when he was 17, and it took him... Probably behind the scenes six months or so, but he showed it to me one day. And so as a parent, I use him as an example because he's 18. He graduated early May and now he's in Nashville working as an intern at a film studio, unpaid internship, (laughs) didn't want to go to college, has known that for four years. Yeah. Works at a restaurant in the evenings to make some cash. Mm. And it's a very non-traditional approach to what a child would do after school, right? right? Non-traditional, it could create a sense of, in a fear. fear. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, he's 18. What's, what's gonna happen? He's halfway across the country. Yeah. And yet, my desire for him was, I see who God made you to be, and this is it. Mm-hmm. And you are walking in your glory. And we had a lot of conversations about the things that bring you passion in the creative world will probably lead to a lot of ups and downs and bumps because it's not like a job where you start and 40 years later you're still at that company yeah, and you just get a raise every year and it's kind of this slow and steady. You're in a turbulent, wild, beautiful creative sphere yeah, and it's going to bring a lot of passion. But mm-hmm. there's going to also be times where the company that you're with closes its doors or yeah. you know, you find yourself for a few months without work and you don't have that college degree and you're being who God made you to be. Amen. So rest in that. So love-based or fear-based, I think, is huge. Can I jump in here? You worked with Dave Ramsey for a little bit, right? Well, I led his creative team. That's right. Uh, so I didn't work with them, but I came in and spoke with them. And Okay. Yeah. See, here's the, an interesting yeah. thing. And I think this is really key for parents to key into right now because that 40-year career doesn't really exist anymore. Mm-hmm. It just right. doesn't. Right. Like, And I'll just give my dad as an example because he's 83 and he was of the era that you thought that took place, mm-hmm. right? Right. He started off as a junior high teacher and then he was a high school teacher and he was a counselor and he was a high school counselor. He was also a professor. Yes. He also worked at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles he didn't start focus on the family till he was 43. Wow. And he had a bunch of careers before mm-hmm. 43. Now he from 43 to 73, 74, he did the same job. Okay. So there was a good yes. 30 year chunk where he right. was doing that. Now within that, he had lots of different careers as well. Lots of different things mm-hmm. he was doing mm-hmm. and then restarted again in his seventies with family talk. Okay. So that was totally different. 
But what I was saying about the Dave Ramsey thing is, so you've got a son that's going to lead a non-traditional. Right. So he's good at problem solving. Yes. Gary Vaynerchuk's been talking about that a lot lately. And what he's saying is there are lots and lots of other countries like India that will out-obey us, that will out-follow rule mm. us. Yes. So they can do yes. all those rote things where you just memorize and you obey and you show up and you monotonize mm. and you, know, you do those things. Totally. Teaching your kids to problem solve is way, way different. Right. And... If he's going to be in a job market that can do this, right? One of those Ramsey principles is to start that savings account mm-hmm. to get to six months of your salary, so that if you're a couple months without work, yes. you're not going. Oh my! I had a kid that came and applied for a job for me, and he hadn't been working for a while. And I was like, "How are you paying your bills?" He's like, "Oh, we follow Dave Ramsey, and he recommends saving six months of your salary so that when you need a job, you don't take the one because right. you have to. You take the one you want to." That made me want to hire him that alone. Right. I didn't know what else he was doing, but yes. that mentality. So if we can teach our kids, because what you want is for them not to have to be like way up high, way down low. Yeah. Right. But there are some skill sets we can say, hey, if you can learn to budget, mm-hmm. if you can learn mm-hmm. to money manage, right. which is something everybody can learn, right. if you can put a little bit away, which by maybe denying yourself a couple of things, who mm-hmm. knows, right. but being responsible. Right. When your job market does this, because I follow actors and comedians on podcasts all the time, and they talk mm. about that. Yes. You yeah. know, going from one movie to the next movie to the TV show to this and having a pilot canceled and all these different mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. If you've got that cushion, right, man, you'll be riding that out and continuing because then what you don't want is for him to be in a job where he doesn't want it, where it's like, oh my goodness, I hate showing up every day. Totally. I wish totally. I could do this thing I'm so meant to be. Yeah. I wish I could have my own voice. Right. If he can save up that little bit of money in the meantime. Well, and he went through, interesting you said that, Ryan, he went through the Dave Ramsey class mm. before he moved and it had a huge impact on him and how he saw money instead of just, I make money to spend money. Yeah. Right. It's now... How do I use money to pursue my dreams? And I think when a young person can get that and understand that mm-hmm. and they're pursuing who God made them to be, amazing things can happen because you're no longer feeling like I'm just doing things to make money, to make a living. Like the most miserable adults that I know who in their 30s, 40s, 50s, if you sit and talk to the most miserable ones tend to be yeah, I got this job out of college and I'm a provider. And do you like what you're doing? No, I can't stand what I'm doing or it's just numbing, but I'm really good at it and I'm making a lot of money. But there's a difference between being really good at something and having a passion for something. Sure. And what I think we want for our kids is pursue what brings you life because the reason it brings you life is because God made you that way. So now Pursue that in your unique identity and let us come alongside you and help you have that experience because experience is to me far more valuable than a degree. Now, Amen. but what would you say to the culture though? Cause the culture is going to say, Hey, you should get the degree. You should do this, do that. And then that can be fear-based, but how are you going to combat that with still championing your child? Well, ultimately I think people, Let's just take the culture for a second. Let's take education for a a minute. Yeah. So there should be, I believe, three legs of a stool, at least in education. One is, of course, help a child gain knowledge and wisdom. 
And most schools are pretty good at that, or they try, they have a program. And the other is just the child ages up, help them find what they're good at. Mm-hmm. And that happens sometimes, right? Like, hopefully. You're being really nice. Yeah. Schools, well, do, schools are terrible at that right now. <laughs> yes. But there's at least a desire in some teachers to try to sure. steer a yeah. kid. Yes. But the missing leg of the stool that is almost, even in Christian schools, I don't find hardly at all is... Do you know who God created you to be? Mm. And now let us help you understand your passions through the lens of doing it actively with God. Mm -hmm. Because when you get the first two legs of the stool, like when I was a Christian publisher of fiction, I did help over 500 novels get published, worked with a lot of very creative, gifted Christian people in the arts who knew what they were born to do. So they knew what their gifting was. Mm -hmm. They were really good at it. But the ones that burn out over time, for a variety of reasons, were ones who never understood, how do I pursue my creativity, my gifting, actively with God? Right. And so there's a big difference between doing things for God and with God. Mm. And I think that's what's missing, and culture has no concept of this. So you can't get right. your cues from culture on this. But Perfect. if you are a parent, raising your children in a way to go, how do we see life through the lens of doing it actively with God in terms of our choices, in terms of your gifting, Mm -hmm. who God made you to be? I think that starts to shift everything. And you are going to feel a little bit like the outsider as you grow up, because that's not how our world or the culture works. But it ultimately is to me the only way to step fully into your unique identity, your mm-hmm. unique voice. Yep. It's countercultural. Counter. It's disruptive. And it's awesome. And it's ultimately yeah. the people doing it are the ones you go, I want to be like, like that. Them. Yeah, right. I want to yeah. be like them. Definitely. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Rebel Parenting. Hey, Rebels. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Save the Storks. Save the Storks helps moms with an unplanned pregnancy. And that's my story. I was an unplanned pregnancy. My birth mom was 16 and faced an uphill battle. And a pregnancy resource center in her area helped her carry me all the way to fruition and then helped adopt me into my family. And Save the Storks helps pregnancy resource centers across the country with stork buses providing mobile ultrasound machines where four out of five moms choose life after seeing their baby on an ultrasound and hearing the heartbeat. Over 6,000 babies have been saved on stork buses. Please support Save the Storks with your prayers and visit savethestorks.com to become a monthly sponsor. Join the movement and help us revolutionize the meaning of pro-life. For more information, visit savethestorks.com. Welcome back to Rebel Parenting. Did you miss us? So... I'll just go with our own experience. Like my son loves video games. Uh huh. He's loving art more and more, which I'm thrilled at. So I'll take it from my parents' standpoint. When I was from like, oh, I'm going to go 10 through 16, 17, my most favorite thing was my skateboard. That's really all I wanted to do. Hang on with my friends, ride my skateboard. And I know they were like, oh my goodness, what are you going to do in life, Ryan? Like, right. it's not going to be this. And the truth is, if you had said, will you be a professional skateboarder? Nope. I will not. You already I'm not knew good that, enough. Oh yeah, yeah I was okay. definitely never going to be good enough to do that. Okay. I just enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. I like hanging out with my friends. How do we 
like let's say it's video games today. Like I hear parents all the time. All my kid wants to do is on the screen. He mm-hmm. only wants to be on the screen. Only wants right. to be on the screen. How do we pare that down and introduce them to other things to say like, hey, you might like this. You might like this. You might like my parents. Right. For me, I loved reading. I still do. I read four or five books at a time now. Yep. Yeah. I'm just cuckoo for books. I bought a new one last night. <laughs> So they were always yes. like, oh, you want that book? Absolutely. Here you go. Like it, because it got me out of right. the skateboard for a while and into a book. Right. It didn't make me a writer, but that gave me so many different perspectives. It helps me as a speaker, helps me as a podcaster. It's helping me definitely in life. Yeah. How can we encourage other activities and kids when they're just like, all I want to do is play video games. Like, right. oh, we have to go to art class. Oh, we have to do, you know what I mean? That right. tween teen right. early oh, thing. Oh, I know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, where you don't want to fight with them, but it's like you need new experiences. Right. What are some of those things we can do? Well, I think it starts with, from a parent standpoint, understanding the motive of what's going on with your child. Mm. And they're not going to ask themselves this question. But the motive from a parent standpoint is, okay, is my son or daughter constantly wanting to do video games as a means of escape or passive entertainment because they don't know what else to do? And this is an adrenaline rush and it, mm-hmm. you know, is a distraction and entertainment and comfortable and frankly, not easy in the sense that I know they gain skills, but you're not trying to prove very much. Yes. You know, you're, you're using it more as an escape. A lot of people. And so if the motive of your child, if you can sense it's that, the question is, how do you invite them into other things? Yeah. Because that's not a sign that, oh, you know, if. If every kid who loved video games was going to be a video game producer or creator one day, we'd have 25 million. Totally. You know, and that's not, we know intuitively that's not the case. And so that's the question is when my 13 year old son sits in the basement playing games for four hours, is that because that's who God made him to be? Or is that because he's looking for a greater adventure and invitation somewhere else and has no idea what it is yet? And most of the time, that is the case. And so it's not to say, don't let them play video games, but it's simply to say, as a parent, we need, depending on their age, to be proactive in inviting them into new adventure where they can go, boy, I really like basketball, or I really like archery, or camping, or I like when I'm engaging with people at Toastmasters, or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. because passivity or checking out isn't the pursuit of your gifting. It's really kind of a numbing of, I don't quite know what to do. And so it's easy to turn on the the video game Mm -hmm. and play for four hours. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think, and I have a 13 year old son and a Mm -hmm. 15 year old daughter and, you know, um, my 18 year old son. And so we've been through that stage kind of watching them as they grow up and always my wife and I will look at each other and go, we need to invite them into some new things and they may not like some of them and they may resist it. But ultimately our goal isn't just to get them off the couch. It's to help them discover what their passions are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're setting a table for them right. to be like, okay, try this, try that. Oh, I don't like that. I like this. And it's not easy. Yeah. Like as a parent, it's far easier to let them sit in front of a TV yes. or be yeah. in the basement playing a game than it is to usher them into things. Mm-hmm. It requires more of us. Our producer did that with our daughter. She let her daughter cook dinner, I think it's once a week. Okay. And then just let her do it and not butt in and not do things. And it's like, I've been cooking, I did it for a living for a long time. 
it's hard for me not to be like, oh, if you just do this little trick and then, you know, jump in when, like, my daughter at seven. She baked a cake this morning. Yeah. And it was hard That's for awesome. me not to butt in and yeah. be like, do this. I mean, I put it in the oven for her because she is seven. I don't want to <laughs> have her get burned. Right. But other than that, she does the whole process yeah. by herself and I don't butt in. Like, if there's something she needs help with, with. Mm-hmm. Turning the oven on, or maybe. But I think like letting your like saying, "Hey, every Tuesday you're going to have to do dinner." Yep. Yes. So you're going to need to plan it. Right. We're going to need to go buy the food. Right. You're going to have to figure out the recipe. You have to, you know, a lot enough time. You know those things. Totally. Because they're learning a ton of stuff and they're being creative at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're giving them responsibility. Right. And then you got to live with the consequences of, hey, you know, if it's this, if it's whatever it is, and also <laughs> this is a big one. I'm going to tell parents this too. If and when they ruin a dinner, no big deal. Okay. Like, I cook all the time, and one of the reasons is when I ruin food, Laura doesn't get mad at me. <laughs> like, she's not like, oh my goodness, you ruined all that. Like, I'm huge into steaks. Huge into steaks. And it was a couple months ago, I tried a new marinade, and I'm not kidding, I ruined four steaks. They were t- like we literally threw most of yeah. it away. <laughs> I kept trying to eat it and it was so bad. It was so bad. And I talked about it for a long time and Laura's finally just like, kind of get over it. Like, it's okay. Yeah. You know, you've made 30 steaks right. one time that's bad. Not that big of a deal. Yes. And I'm like, but it was so, you know, that whole, yeah. Well, the it, there's a messiness, right? To learning anything new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially mm. with kids. I love that. There's a messiness, messiness to learning anything new. Yes. There's a messiness well, to learning of, anything new, whether it's art or cooking or painting or construction, you know, whatever right. it is. Mountain biking right. or skateboarding or things. They're going to fall. They're going to get hurt. They're going to have to learn Yes. the messiness of it. I love that. Yeah. And I do think, man, with our kids, the more we can help them understand there's freedom in finding out who you are and what you want, and as parents, we're not putting pressure on them to be magnificent or to be, mm, you know, the next superstar. The next superstar or even to learn too quickly or to try to put guardrails up when, depending on their age, sometimes they need a little more freedom to come back with a skin knee or to feel like, man, I tried this and I failed mm. and my feelings got hurt or whatever. That's okay. Like, that's part of discovering your greatness mm-hmm. is the bumpiness, messiness. And I think that God. That's how he ushers us in a new terrain is always you're going to have to stretch. It's not going to be easy. Mm. It's not going to be handed to you on a silver platter because the goal isn't the finish line. It's the journey. Yes. And so what is this journey? You know, as parents, we have to ask ourselves, it's not just for our kids. What journey are we on? You know, and, let's talk about that for yeah. a second, too. We're going to take a, a tiny break. This podcast is today is brought to you by our friends at Save the Storks. SaveTheStorks.com is their website. Definitely check them out. Become a monthly sponsor. For those that don't know, Save the Storks creates mobile ultrasound buses. These stork buses where they go to neighborhoods where there may not be healthcare or places where people need ultrasounds. Mm-hmm. Four out of five moms choose life when they see their baby on ultrasound mm-hmm. and hear the heartbeat. Wow. And they're there for those moms with unplanned pregnancies. And for those that don't know, I am the product of an unplanned pregnancy. My birth mom was 16 when she got pregnant with me, 17 when she had me. And without an organization in her life that helped like Save the Storks, I wouldn't be here today. Mm -hmm. And so I am so thrilled to be involved with this amazing organization. You can find them at savethestorks.com. 
We love those guys. Yeah, they're, they're amazing. So That's amazing. I was thinking about that because yeah. they're so creative. I'm trying to figure out what Joe Baker's mom did to foster such creativity mm. in him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think not only creativity, but a fortitude to continue right. on in their right. journeys of discovering what they like, what they don't mm-hmm. like. Oh, that's what you we were talking about the journey. Yeah. The reason why the journey is the thing, it's because that's where you're learning. Right. It's not the destination of, oh, then I'm there. It's right. the, I need to learn lots of things in order to do this thing over here. Like with skateboarding, skateboarding is mostly failure every now and then success. Mm. Try a trick 10,000 times, get it four or five times, move on to the next trick, you're gonna fail at 10,000 times. But you're learning a skill set every time you're doing that. You know, when you're learning to cook, right. you're burning food, you're trying stuff, you're like, ooh, that's not great. When you're sauteing things, when you're sauteing garlic for the first time and then you burn it, and you're like, ooh, that tastes terrible. Right. Or you don't do it enough and it tastes too sharp. And you're trying to figure out that median point. Right. When right. you work with cream in a saucepan, I mean, you can ruin it like that or you can not do it enough and then there's like that, oh, that taste isn't good. You've got to learn to fail over and over and over again. So what you said about not expecting our kid to be the next maestro, not expecting them to be extraordinary out of the box or not jumping on, oh, you're good at this, then you're going to be a blah, you know, whatever it is. Just being like, wow, fantastic. That's great. But appreciating the learning and maybe asking them, well, what did you learn today? Uh-huh. You know, what did you learn when you did dinner? To, like whatever, if it's going to be, you know, cooking dinner once a week, what did you learn differently today than you haven't in the past? Yeah. Mm. And when they're trying new things, ask them, what'd you love about this? Or yeah. what brought you joy? Mm. Or, you know, rather than simply, did you do well at it? Because people can do well at things that they don't really enjoy. You know, like I can pick weeds in my garden really well. I know how to do it. It's not what I have a passion to do. Okay, let me ask you this. Yeah, this is a big one. I wonder if it's more of a Western or if it's more of an affluent thing of like when you find passion in something that you lose time. Like you can be doing something, all of a sudden you look up and it's been like two hours. Right. The cynic in me is like, I know, but we do need janitors. We need people that clean toilets. We need people that mop and sweep and bricklayer, things like that. It is funny though, I don't want to belittle anyone in this, but it's funny that you say you're good at weeding, but it's not something that you're passionate about. When we had a huge garden, I found peace in weeding my garden. I would sit there because throughout the day, there's all this going on and I needed this quiet. I'll tell you the one thing that ruined it. We used to have a neighbor next door with this worst dog Mm, and I would want to be in my garden weeding and it would come to the fence and just yap at me the whole time. And it it ruined the experience. But I would find peace. I would just sit there and not have to think and not have to. Are there people that lose time in the monotony? I mean, how do we have people that do just clean and, you know, do those types of, you know, for me, I was a janitor. Right. I worked in a warehouse. I swept warehouse floors. I mopped floors. When I got to college, I was a literal janitor. I cleaned toilets. I hated it. It stunk. I did not like cleaning other people's toilets. It's gross. Right. But we need it. Right. And so are there people that are like, oh, no, I'm I'm totally down for that. Or is it just like some people have jobs where they're like, no, I really hate my job, but weekends are fun. Well, I think there are jobs that are sometimes you just have to do in life that are not fun and for society to function and and also for us to grow up and, or or to get through a financial hard period or whatever season we're in, that's just part of it. Mm -hmm. But I think the goal is if we believe God knits us into being, knows us before we're born, 
then he makes us each uniquely. And so the goal is what brings me passion and joy and the reason isn't to get, in my opinion, to get things done. Mm. So the Western mindset is, well, find what you're good at and then get busy doing it. Yes. I think the reason God gives us his motive for us is relational at its core. And so what he says is, I've given you this gifting. Now, as you discover it, discover more of me. Mm. I'm the one that gave it to you. So if you love cooking, I created all the ingredients. Mm-hmm. If you love you know, whatever your architecture. And as fun as cooking is, there's a whole lot of monotony in the cooking. Right. And right. There's a whole lot of monotony in the cleaning up after And in writing sure. books and yeah. in, yeah. you know, yeah. when you're, if you're a great basketball player, people don't see the thousand free throws. <laughs> you stand in practice yeah, every day. Taking. Right. Mm-hmm. right yeah. Right. So there is repetitiveness even in our desires and passion mm-hmm. and hard work. But if we look at it as the motive of doing what I love is to get to know my creator more. So as I create, we co-create together, whatever that creation is, however you're changing the atmosphere, whatever you're doing, even if it's a job that is not the dream job and you know it, but it's a season you need to be in as a janitor or Mm -hmm. in some situation where you're like, I know this isn't it. Well, the invitation is still, how do I do this with God? Yeah. And how do I do it well? And how do I do it well? Because he's going to father me in that yeah. And you know, what's cool, it always helps me to remember the first two ways God introduces himself in scripture. He could have done it anyway. And he says, I'm going to first be known as creator and father. And those were the first two ways. He could have chosen to be known as the boss or, you know, yeah. the obscure hidden force that you better not cross or any number of different ways. But he said, no, the two identities I want you to know me by first are creator and father. And so now we get to step into life and go, mm. our father loves us as a son and daughter. So that's our core identity as a son or daughter. Yeah. And he invites us now to pursue our gifting like he pursued his creativity, which is bringing life and beauty and order out of chaos. Genesis 1-2, mm-hmm. that was his first act. The first act wasn't the creation of you know the seven days. It was in Genesis 1-2, after, right after in the beginning, it's... Now I'm stepping into the spirits hovering over the deep. It's this really wild verse in one and two where something's going on. There's water, there's watery something, but oceans haven't been created. Right. The mm. spirit hovers over the deep. And what a lot of Hebrew scholars say is what's happening is order and beauty and life are being brought out of chaos. It's a transformation that's happening mm-hmm. before the days of creation. So, if we know we have a father who's a creator and we're his son or daughter, now we're invited through our presence and our gifting to transform the chaos in life into beauty, life, and order. And we can do that when we're weeding a garden, when we're cleaning a toilet, or when we're running in our unique gifting. Mm. And so as my son and daughter, you know, like as a father, yep, I have them do chores every week. And yeah. those chores may not tie to their gifting at all and they are cleaning their toilet and they are cleaning their room and they are mowing the yard but i'm also saying who has god made you to be i'm looking at them i'm asking Mm -hmm. god i'm watching i'm observing and i'm saying i see unique things in my daughter so i'm going to shepherd and father her heart in certain ways with my son another way with this son another way. Yeah. And well, and yeah. what you're saying too is with those chores, they're bringing order and beauty out of chaos. Right. 
and that's funny because as much as I didn't like being a janitor and cleaning toilets, I did like it when it was clean. Yes. It looked right. a certain way. Right. I liked it when all the blackboards and chalkboards and whiteboards were clean before class the next day. I knew I did that. Yeah. Laura and I were totally. watching, we were in Houston this week and we were watching street food. And I'm thinking of that woman that was like 78, 80 something. 87, I thought. 87, not 78, 87. And she had been cooking the same food. Since she was 13. Every day. And she had talked about having a day off and then never having another one since. And it was, I mean, it was literally mm. over 50 years with no days off. Wow. But she's bringing life. Mm-hmm. And the interesting one, the president came and ate at her stand at one this point. This was in Indonesia. Like she had it's this Indonesia. little stand. I love that story. Yeah. And I forget how he came upon her stand, but it was like, find me this blah, blah, blah food. And he went there and ate. And now, even 20, 30 years later, people wait three, four, five mm. hours for a very simple Indonesian style street food. She wraps it up in a banana leaf. It is not mm. fancy, but she does. She mm. says she gets up at midnight every, every night, night and her family helps her prepare the things to take to her. And then her daughter or granddaughter, she's on the back of a scooter. You know, I mean, she's old, like legit. Like hunched <laughs> over old, no teeth. Wow. You know, looks, she doesn't have dentures. Yes. Looks the part old. Yeah. And... She's bringing life mm-hmm. by giving people sustenance and food. Right. She's bringing joy to people that want that food. Right. She's creating order and beauty out of chaos, out of bare raw materials. And she works with her family. Works she with works her, with her husband a lot of beauty every night. In that, right. Tons and of you can see joy in her as she talks about mm-hmm. it. Yes. It's very interesting when I watch this because I think, oh my goodness, I could never do that. I could just never do it. Uh-huh. Hey, Ryan, you're going to do this for 50 years. No, I am not. <laughs> I couldn't. And... Yeah. I envy that in a way. I envy people that can find joy in the small things, in the, I fed a bunch of people today and right. I took raw materials and I created this thing that people appreciate and love. Yes. It's a very interesting thing. And then in teaching kids that, it really is showing them. And I think we need to explain that to our children as well of no one likes to clean bathrooms necessarily and you're creating order and beauty out of chaos. It yes. was a giant mess. Right. It was embarrassing to go into it was like Ugh, gross and now it's not right now it's clean and it's pure right. and you can take a bath and there's not a ring around it and the toilet's clean and there's not stuff on the ring and there's not i took a photo i don't know if your kids did this what is it with kids and toothpaste <laughs> did you take a photo it's of a conspiracy i think it right. has to be right. i want can, to be someone who invents uh, like a stopgap on the toothpaste push a button and it sucks back in or yeah or something kids toothpaste things it's just or it's just our kids i don't know there have been times where i'll go in and the top of the toothpaste thing is just coated in so much gross and it's everywhere i clean that off yes it's a good feeling yeah in the middle of it when you're like picking gross toothpaste off the top and you're heating it with hot water and you're scrubbing it with an old toothbrush right that's not fun right when it's done oh man satisfaction I was reading that in in Making Your Bed in the Morning. That's an interesting one. They were saying that does something different to the mind. It's saying little things are important. Right. Small tasks have value. Right. And then when you come back after a day, there is order. It's not just a pile of stuff on a bed. But you come in to see peace and order in that. I'm that way. I make up our bed every morning, and it actually brings joy it's not that it's my favorite thing to do. Do you get it before your wife or after your wife? Well, 
I get up before, but I wait to make the bed till right. she's up. So okay. I don't she's out of it. With her <laughs> I have been. But, right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've, I've, so Gary Vaynerchuk was talking about making beds. Jocko Willink was talking about making beds. Jordan Peterson was talking about making beds. Everyone. I is, keep huh? coming across this thing of making beds. I get up most of the time. I don't know an hour or more before Laura. Yeah. And I'm so black and white. I'm so binary. I've got this thing like. Well, I want to make the bed. Like they're like, make the bed the first thing you get up in the morning. For, and I'm like, I have a wife that doesn't get up when I get up. I'm not just gonna make my side of the bed. That sounds so mean. Like she gets up and mine's all smooth and cleaned, and I'm like, whatever. Have fun with your side of the bed today, honey. Okay. Yeah, I just have to. But do you? Th- I think one beauty of making the bed or something like that is it allows your mind to actually free associate and be creative because you're doing this task that you do every day. So you can almost do it rote or, yes. or by memory. Yeah. And so as you're doing that, at least for me, I have some of my most creative thoughts in the morning. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not trying to rush and I'm not frustrated that I have to make the bed. It's actually like, I'm going to walk around and put the pillows on this side and then I'm going to look at it and smooth it out. And while I'm doing that, I'm thinking about, boy, this is a great idea for another story. Mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. boy, my daughter, I need to talk to her about this today. And so it actually is a calming thing, even though it's not my passion for the day, but the routine of certain things as you're bringing order, I think it allows your mind to really be very creative. Mm-hmm. And so, and it shifts the task then from, I just have to check it off the list, one more thing to do, into how can I be fully present even when I'm doing something like that, by allowing God to speak to me, to direct my day. You know, one big thing I just want to touch on, because I think it's so helpful for parents, is this difference between expectancy and expectations. And the beginning of my day is where that comes into play. Meaning, Mm. when I wake up, and when I'm once my wife's out of bed, when I'm making the bed, is I'm thinking about my day to release all expectations to God, And that's, I thought of this because that's often the time I'll do it is when I'm making the bed and to say, okay, God, fill me with expectancy for what you have today. Mm. And I wipe the slate clean from my expectations. So I used to be the kind of man where a good day was when all my expectations happened. Were met, yes. Right. If I got to the gym, if certain things happened a certain way, and if I had 12 things and all 12 things happened, it was a good day. Yes. And if none of them happened... I was a nightmare to yeah, be around bear, cranky pants. because my day didn't go like I wanted yep. at all. And the problem is God didn't have to show up for the good day or the bad day. Yeah. It was all my expectations. And so mm-hmm. now to say like a son or like if you're a woman, you know, listening like a daughter would do father, what do you have for me today? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I want that for the day. And it doesn't have to meet my expectations. My kids don't have to meet my expectations. The fact that the washing machine breaks down doesn't have to meet my expectations, but I have an expectancy of whatever happens today, I get to do it with you. you yeah, and there's father an expectancy that the Lord allowed this, therefore it must be good for me in some level. Right. In some way. It and, may not be the thing yeah. that makes me happiest, and right. I know that. That's really interesting. Therapists talk so much about most fights in marriage are because of unmet expectations. Oh, Totally. I am expecting you to do X, Y, Z when you don't do those things. By the way, I've never spoken those to you. That's just right. a narrative in my brain. Well, right. what do you mean you don't do da-da-da-da? <laughs> everybody does da-da-da-da. I thought you'd do da-da, you know, yes. X, Y, Z yes. kind of thing. 
and to get rid of the expectations and to have an expectancy of whatever it is that happens today, God meant it to happen. And the interpretation that there. That would be so freeing for yeah. all parents. And it shifts your interpretation to how is God viewing the day and how do I align with that Yes. versus, well, this is my expectation and nothing's going like I planned. And when you and your spouse can get together and go. Nothing's going like I planned. Yeah. yeah. That like never I drives planned. me crazy. Yeah. It never drives Ryan crazy. <laughs> but when you, instead you can you know get together with your spouse and say, okay, well, let's pray. I don't know. Let's see what God's up to. I don't know why things are going the way they are, but let's ask God what he's up to. It shifts the lens of how you see not only your life, but how you parent, because then it's not the pressure of everything has to be perfect or my kids have to be a certain way for me to be a certain way. It actually allows you to go, hmm, Yeah. all right, so let's dive into whatever God, what's going on here? And it actually, a lot of times the messiness of being a parent are the moments where you actually get to know your sons or daughters mm-hmm. the best if you won't be taken out. Right, because when you have an expectation of what's going to take place and it doesn't and you feel like it's your kid's fault, right? you know, true or not, there's no learning, there's no coming together, there's no bonding, there's no relationship forming. It's behavior-based. It's just, oh my goodness, why yeah. can't you blah, 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 blah. Mm. Right. Mm. Behavior-based instead of relational-based. Yeah. Yeah. And control instead of freedom. And that brings us back to, you know, like with chaos. We were talking about that earlier. Well, when chaos happens in your home, do you become more chaotic? In other words, does the chaos transform you into chaos as a parent? Correct. Or do you transform the chaos into beauty, life, and order, even in your home, even as you parent? So the best thing I think that kids can see in us is that we are the calm in the storm. Mm-hmm. So when they are chaotic, we don't, you know, get like more controlling and get more yell, fear-based. Yell, talk yeah. louder, over-talk them, them, you know, and just by force mm-hmm. try to control because in a sense we're becoming more chaotic then. Yeah. So we may win that moment, like we may out-shout them or we may out-rule them, but there's no peace in the home. Right. And so the goal is when chaos comes, not just in our gifting and in what we love to do, but in who we are, how do we change the atmosphere of our home into beauty, life, peace, order? And we do that by transforming the chaos that comes in like a jujitsu artist. You know, like we take what's coming, mm, but, but like we deflect it and we transform it. And that's why I was saying, really, that's a new definition of creativity. That is creativity right there. When a mom or dad can take a volatile situation mm-hmm. and 30 minutes later there's calm in the house yeah. and calm in our children's spirit, not because we gave in to them, but because we transformed what was going on through us knowing who God made us to be, we actually model for our kids, oh, here's how to handle chaos. Mm. Here's how to step into our identity and even if they don't put words to it at five, six, seven, eight, they're seeing something happen yeah. that then later when we say, right now, step into who God made you to be, what were you born to transform in the world? Go do that. And it may look different for everybody. I mean, when we yeah. first had kids, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I'll share it with you. Like this was actually, Kelly was pregnant with our first child. So this would have been 19 years ago. And I remember we were creating our first will. We were married a year or two and needed to have a will. And one of the things I remember saying, and we haven't looked at it since, so I probably need to think about that. But 
one of the things at that moment, I remember sitting in the office of the lawyer and I said, well, I'll tell you this, however many kids we have and however much money we ultimately have, it may not be much. It may be a lot one day. I don't know. But if our kids don't go to college, then they get nothing. Like that was the man I was at that time. It was a very controlling and this is the way things work. And so if a son or daughter won't go to college and now I look at it myself back then and go, oh my gosh, like I wasn't thinking about who God was creating our kids to be, our future kids. And now Mm -hmm. colleges, it's not bad or good. It's who does God make them to be and how do I help them get there Yes, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. no expectations of what that's going to look like mm-hmm. and no pressure on them to do a certain thing for me to love them more right? Yeah, or right. for them to be more in my eyes. Totally. Mm-hmm. Man, that's fantastic. We've gone a ton. This is so great. Alan, I can't believe it. I, I wasn't quite sure where this was going to go. And early on, we we're talking about publishing and writing and it just fed so easily into creativity in kids and having them find their own identity and voice man thank you so much thank you Alan. oh you're welcome i've I loved this conversation it. we got to do it again we, there's so much more to talk about so i definitely invite you back thank you uh you're not far away so let's do it again sometime i'd love to all right thank, thank, you. thank you so thank much you. for listening we appreciate you thanks thanks for listening rebels we appreciate you thanks for sharing this with your friends talk to your kids speak into them and help them find their own voice special thanks to alan arnold and again our thanks to the voice of the martyrs persecution.com the voice of the martyrs helping those being persecuted for our gospel for more than 50 years god bless rebels Ooh, the next podcast johnny baker help my spouse fell off the wagon talking about addiction with the president of celebrate recovery johnny baker don't miss that one it's coming up tomorrow god bless see you soon Rebel Parenting is produced by Rebel Media House. And when you need a little help with your marriage or parenting, and everyone does, you can find it at rebelparenting.org. Sign up for the Rebel Update by texting the word REBEL to 444-999. That's R-E-B-E-L, and the number is 444-999. We love it when you share Rebel Parenting with your friends and family, so thank you. God bless. Thanks for spending your time with us. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Rebel Parenting.